Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Captive Prince by C.S. Picot, the 1995 miniseries adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, and the fanfic Lumos by Birds of Shore. And welcome to episode 49, and I shall sit here consumed with lust for the rest of the evening. (laughs) I'm Alex, and I am Sophie and Howell from Howl's Moving Castle. I'm Freya, and I am Belle and the Beast. I'm Macy, and I am Elizabeth Swan and Jack Sparrow. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about enemies to lovers, and I am just now realizing that I think I have been something Howl's Moving Castle related (laughs) in like two of the last three episodes, so... It happens. We just yep. have to tentpole it someday, guys. Uh, yes. So we have some extremely exciting conversations planned for tonight, and I cannot wait to <laughs> get into this. Is today the day that Freya finally loses her shit on air? I'm just as Maybe. thrilled to find out as you are, dear listeners. <laughs> uh, but before we start with that, what have we been reading, fellow serpents? I suspect this will be the theme, but I have not been reading a great deal because mm. it is November. It, it is. is. NaNoWriMo. It is. And so I am 13,000 words into a new novel, which is very exciting, but I haven't been reading a whole lot. I did reread The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury on Halloween, which is my <laughs> annual tradition. Uh, I also reread Call Me By Your Name by Andre Asman because the sequel to it is just recently come out mm. and I wanted to refresh my knowledge of the first book. I liked it a lot the, the second time through, I think, because I had seen the movie in the meantime. The first time I read it, I couldn't quite connect to the voice. And I still don't find the narrator particularly easy to relate to. But I think having seen the movie and having that sort of lush visuals and the sense of how it all fits together theme-wise and aesthetic-wise, I really liked the book a lot more the second time. Hmm. And I have, what was that? Hmm. That was like, like all I know face. about All I know about Call Me By Your Name is that it involves fucking a peach. It does. Yeah, does it? Does. Yes. There is a there is an extremely <laughs> okay. explicit and interesting scene in which a young man fucks a peach and then his lover comes and eats the peach, which is Ew. obviously full of jizz. Ew. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Ew. Context, see why is, my um, Alex. In context, it is slightly less weird than it sounds, but not by much. You just okay. have to go with it. Anyway, uh, I also reread quite a lot of Astolat Transformers fanfic because sometimes you just have to read a thing that you've read a hundred times yeah. Yeah, sometimes when your the brain heart is wants tired. The heart wants. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, I have also been doing Nano, but as like a focus month for editing Catalyst. Uh, mm. So I've mostly been watching lots of TV. Um, so I've been watching this delightful documentary called One Strange Rock. Which is basically like Will Smith and 10 astronauts explain our planet and everything on it to you. That sounds fun. It's okay. it's super fun. And it has like Sami reindeer herders and like Bolivian paleontologists. Um, and it's like actually looking at scientists around the world. Um, so that's like nice. Um, I also have been watching The Purge TV show because it was Halloween and Wu-Tang, an American saga because Hulu has it. And also the new Watchmen show, which is... How's that? It's pretty good. It's um, violent and lots of stabby, explodey things and really interesting. Um, And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Cool. I have also been reading very little because it is NaNoWriMo. I have like 16,000 words, which is way short of where I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be due at like 30,000, but it's been a rough beginning of the month. Dear listeners, maybe I will catch up later. Your fellow serpents are waging a be kind to Alex campaign against your usual spiders, Georg. I yes. am being kind Good. to Alex yes. by the only writing 16,000 if, if Alex I, does a normal nano I know that. <laughs> I know that. It's going to be higher than the normal nano, but uh-huh. we'll see how it goes. At this point, like, I have resigned myself to, we'll see how the month goes. Sure. Good. Uh, all, yep. words, all words are good words. Yep. I have already won this month by having any words at all. Yep. So, yeah, it's all good. Um, but, however, I did at, when I was at work today, 
at lunch, I started reading <laughs> an advanced copy of K.M. Spara's upcoming book, Docile, uh, which was a mistake because I only had 30 <laughs> minutes of lunch. And now I come home and I have all of these other commitments that I have to do that I can't shove off to the side to like hyper focus on doc docile for the rest of the book. It I'm like three or four chapters in. It is thrilling. I am hooked. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is about a near-ish future where um, debt can be inherited. And so families build up millions and millions of dollars worth of debt and pass it on to their children and it's horrible and so people sell themselves into slavery basically to pay off their family's debt and it is about capitalism and it's fairly rough and and kind of a scary look at capitalist america i believe the um, tagline is there is no consent under capitalism Correct, yes. Uh, but I have really high hopes. I'm already really invested in the characters, and it sounds cool. Also, literally right before we started recording this podcast, I got a uh, rec for a Chinese anime <laughs> called uh, The King's Avatar uh, from one of our friends, uh, Gishi, uh, who is amazing. And I watched like the first two and a half episodes, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's all. Does it involve terrifying bread gifts? No, it doesn't. Then it I'm accepted. About, it is about a professional esports player who gets kicked off of his professional esports team uh, for this like not totally not World of Warcraft uh, game, <laughs> and that's about all that's happened so far. <laughs> and he has he has started he's like started a new, new character and like joined this shitty guild and is like being a badass in front of all these newbies and nobody knows who he is. So it's like uh, Sword Art Online. I guess so. Sure. <laughs> I've only played RuneScape and didn't I play something else? Shall we have an episode? We should have an episode. <laughs> Listen, though, we're doing really good because usually yeah. it takes us like ten minutes to get through. Usually, we've read some books. It's because we haven't been reading anything. It's, that's that's true. That's very true. <laughs> but let's have an up episode because this is great. We're doing yes. enemies to lovers. First of all, what do we mean by enemies to lovers? Can I offer a taxonomy? Yes. <laughs> please do, Freya. You're the expert. Well, I was having a think about this, and I don't think our temp poles quite break down along this taxonomy, but I think you can divide the enemies to lovers trope depending on what kind of enemies you are when mm. you begin. Mm -hmm. mm. And so I think you can start with something like enemy by circumstance alone. So obviously Romeo and Juliet, mm, yeah. there is nothing about the two, two people that are actually at enmity with each other. Mm. It's just that their families are at war. And I think my favorite one of this in science fiction is Aurel and Cordelia yes. from the Vorkosigan saga, oh, yes. who meet and are immediately attracted to each other and really like each other, but just inconveniently happen to be <laughs> in opposing armies during a war. And one of them is the other's prisoner. And it's very it's awkward. awkward. Yeah. It's awkward, but they, you know, they head down the, well, we, we really like these, this person and we're attracted to each other. Oh no. And end with like awkward proposals, which is <laughs> great. Yes. Uh, yes. Awkward and proposals the other two... are going to be a theme this week. Oh yes, indeed. Mm. <laughs> and the other two arms of this taxonomy, I would say it would be enemy through initial bias. So either a misunderstanding or an unfortunate first meeting or something that happens that sets up an enmity between these two people who, if they were to know each other in a different context, probably would like each other. So like and Pride then, and Prejudice. Mm. Like Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Yeah, to a certain extent, because I think there is some changing happening, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> and the third one is actual facts, enemies. These people do not like each other. They are actually enemies. And then we go through the transformation to lovers. I think that's an interesting point because – there's a totally different meaning when we're talking about the trope of enemies to lovers than the general fictional understanding of an enemy in a story, right? Because we're talking a lot more about direct interpersonal connections and relationships because, you know, mm. two enemies have a relationship. That relationship is one of enmity, um, as opposed to like, you are my enemy because you are on the other side of a war. I don't know you. I don't give a fuck about you, but you're wearing the wrong uniform and thus you are my enemy. And that's not right. really about relationships. So I think that's interesting. Like the word enemy in this context almost has a different meaning. Yes. Mm. So if that, that last situation you're talking about, I think is the first one in the taxonomy where 
there is an assumed interpersonal enmity, but there is actually nothing personal. I'm actually not quite meaning that. I'm meaning like the entire armed forces are your enemy. You don't know any of the individuals. Oh yeah, it's kind of an abstract thing. Right, like an, an abs- a lot of enemies in fiction are more abstract than what we're going to be talking about today. And that can mm. be like where the relationship comes from uh, in the mm, first section here. Yeah, And I would say that often, if you're doing enemies to lovers in fiction, the enemy in question is often not the primary antagonist. Um, or yes. if it is, then, you, then you're doing a very particular type of story. <laughs> this feels like a good point to also ask, like, if it's not the antagonist, how are we defining enemy? Like, can we go into a little bit more detail what we mean by that? Is it just, like, someone with whom you feel a strong revulsion? Someone who you feel is, like acting against you in some way even if they aren't i feel like it's um a strongly negative relationship in general not just like a one-off emotion and it could be revulsion or it could be contempt or it could be uh irritation um Mm -hmm. like Hmm. there are lots of different emotions that it could be but basically your whole relationship is built around a negative emotion or impression yeah. Yes. And I think you're right. Even in the case of something like Arl and Cordelia, mm. they both have ideas about what the other side is like. Right. That yeah. form that negative impression to begin with. Right. Yeah. All three of us have recently written Enemies <laughs> to Lovers book. It, it's a fact, good trope, Macy is in, It's a good trope, Bront. And Macy is in the middle of editing her Enemies to Lovers. I just finished editing my Enemies to Lovers. Freya, yours was Sword? I know, I was going to say, I haven't recently written Enemies to Lovers. I've written, I, like, Irritation to Lovers recently. That's true. I think Sword is... Sword is... Sword, time. Is, yeah. sword. sword is Enemies to Lovers, yes. That's yeah. fair, but that's not yeah. that recent. What is time? No. It's not that recent. What is time? What is, what time? is linear time? I'm anyway, editing my books specifically to make them more Enemies to Lovers, because I think the first time round they were more, like, mild irritation to lovers. Yeah. You can you can dial it up a little bit, make I it have. a little bit more vibrant. Oh, I have. I'm looking forward to the new draft. <laughs> Shall we talk about some tent poles, though? Because I, I feel like the first tent pole is something that no one has been wanting to hear about at all. But we're I going feel, to indulge Freya. I feel like the first tent pole is kind of the promised tent pole, <laughs> the one true tent pole, the tent pole which was foretold in prophecy. Uh, it even has lots of tent poles in it. it That's do- true. It, it does, actually. Many different <laughs> kinds, both literal and figurative tent poles. And figurative Freya. and dick joke. Yeah. <laughs> dick joke. Check. <laughs> Freya, tell us about yes. Captive Prince. Tell us. Okay. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, it probably has not managed to escape your notice that I have a certain amount of strong feelings about <laughs> the Captive Prince trilogy by C.S. Picat. Which I have been reading since it was initially posted in serialized form yes. on Live Journal, uh, and then obviously broke Same. out into self-publishing Wonderland, and eventually became mainstream published. So, Hipster. what's that? Freya, Freya was reading Captain Prince before it was cool. I was on yes, Live Journal too. That was the point of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will also say that I think Freya, you are the Jane Bennett of this podcast. In that you you may have like deep abiding affection, but sometimes you are just so collected that like She's next to Alex is shouting. Right <laughs> I have many to... many feelings about Captive Prince. Lots of them came out via fan fiction. Mm, I will say it that way. Um, so for those of you who may be unfamiliar with it, the basic premise of Captive Prince is that there is a prince called Damon who is betrayed by his half brother and sent as a gift, as a pleasure slave, an anonymous slave to his enemy, essentially. So Prince Laurent of a country uh, of whom they used to be at war and he has to hide his identity. He cannot (laughs) let it be known that he is Prince Damianos instead of Damon the slave because he unfortunately killed Laurent's beloved older brother (laughs) in single combat when they were at war. Which is a good reason to hate someone. It is a good reason to say It's a really good premise for for the enemies, yes. Yes, so there is some legitimate reason to be enemies here. And the trilogy follows the two of them slowly deepening their relationship as they fight off various enemies and try to recapture their two thrones and their two kingdoms. We, I think we decided we were going to focus in this episode mostly on the second book, Prince's Mm -hmm. Gambit, because it's the one that does the most classic enemies to lovers 
transition. Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning of Prince's Gambit, Laurent and Damon are leaving the capital city to take a an army of men essentially to the border forts where Laurent has kind of been manipulated into having to go to do his duty on the border. Uh, and it's very clearly a trap set by his treacherous uncle uh, yeah. to try and mm-hmm. kill him and or uh, make him look very bad. And o- over the course of the book, Laurent and Damon have to learn to work together. They get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> they go on various escapades <laughs> and so hijinks. Many. They get captured. They get uncaptured. They kill some people. They have a very satisfying military training montage in book form. <laughs> I love me a good military they training do. montage. And yeah. by the end of it, they are definitely, and by most senses of the word, lovers. Mm, like yeah. they have, they have, this is the book in which they fall in love, even though. This you is also the book see... where they have sex. So like, they kind oh, of yeah, have yeah. sex in book yeah. one. They don't have sex in book no, one. Well, Levant like verbally instructs someone else to make Damon Yeah, come. that's kind of part that's of the true. enemies. That's still part of the enemies. That's still oh yeah, I know. But like, it's not yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. not sexual contact. No, that's true. And I will say, if you are thinking of reading these books, you should be warned that there there are some quite heavy things going on in the first book. There is definite sexual assault. There is a lot of talk around rape and there is heavily referenced, although not portrayed, um, sexual abuse of minors sort of throughout the books as well. So yeah, there's quite a lot of heavy stuff in book one. Book two is much more about sort of like hijinks and soldiers, but... It's only really even the first half of book one. So like if Mm. you can get to the point where they get kicked out of the capital then you're home free and i don't think that there's anything too rough after that Hmm. no no i don't think so yeah um but yeah this is definitely the book where they fall in love you only see damon's point of view and damon never actually thinks the word love but it is very clear what has happened to his feelings yeah damon is a classic unreliable he is incredibly unreliable and you can through because Picard is an incredible writer, yes. you can actually pinpoint, I think, the moment when Laurent's feelings change as well, even though Damon is kind of oblivious to it. What do you think that is? I think it's um when Damon throws the sword, the sword. and rescues yep. him. Yep. Okay. I thought that-, that there's this way that they describe how Laurent's expression changes. Yep. And there's like and the way that Laurent's dialogue shifts in that moment because it's been set up in a certain way, and because Picat has a masterful command of portraying things through dialogue that is all subtext, you but, can see yeah. it. Specifically so, on a craft level, um, what she's also doing is Damon kills one of his own countrymen to save the enemy prince. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so this is the choice, right? This is Damon making a choice for Laurent that Laurent never expected or would have dared to ask for. Right. I mean, and that keeps happening. That happens over and over is that Laurent has assumptions about Damon and consistently, and so does uh, Laurent's um, uncle, the main antagonist, uh, the regent. Like, everybody is making these assumptions. All these Varetians are like conniving, snaky, chess master sort of people. Uh, and they keep assuming that they know how Damon is going to act. And Damon just doesn't act that way. Yeah. And just like... And it's weird. And I would actually pinpoint two significant turns in how Laurent thinks of him. Because there is the, I just hate you. And then it's the, what the fuck are you? (laughs) And then it's, I'm in love with you. And the, what the fuck are you starts in the first book when Damon asks Laurent to save the slaves. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's the point where Laurent goes, I don't understand you on a fundamental level. Like, this is costing you something to do this and why would you give up your position why would you give up any advantage that you have just for the sake of these people there's hmm. something that i'm missing here i'm watching you more closely now yeah um, my favorite my yeah. favorite scene in and possibly the whole series is the first book one where damon is taken to laurent's rooms as part of a plot to murder oh yeah yeah Laurent has been drugged and the assumption is that damon will go along with yeah uh these assassins he'll just stand there while they kill Laurent and or then help be there to or, or help. help. Oh, and yep. then he will be there to take the blame yep. afterwards. And yep. Damon flatly refuses and says, no, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to attack an unarmed person. I'm just actually going to step into battle on Laurent's side for the very first time. Oh, it's such a good God. scene. God, it's so good. And from an enemies to lovers standpoint, I think that 
Damon doesn't necessarily see Laurent as an enemy much past the midpoint of book one. Um, and that confuses Laurent quite a lot because oh, yeah. we find out later on, spoilers for Captive Prince, that Laurent has known all along who Damianos was. From the first instant. From the very first instant, um, which sort of changes a lot of things in retrospect. Mm. And I, I think I like that because it means that Laurent is actually going through a really true ha, yes. enemies to lovers thing. Like he is doing the full like Romeo and Juliet, you know, prodigious birth of love. I must love a loathed enemy because <laughs> he actually is the yep. loathed yeah. enemy. Yeah. Whereas in Damon's case, Laurent is someone who he does despise and almost think of in a kind of he just thinks of him as this conniving snake he doesn't respect him yeah there's contempt and then he learns he's there's a lot of contempt there and he learns to admire and respect him greatly through seeing what laurent is fighting against and how he works it take it takes damon a while to figure out that the uncle is the enemy oh god yeah damon is a little bit oblivious just because like he's such a good person he has so much trouble seeing badness in other people. Like, it just doesn't hmm. click And he has him. an idea of what badness looks like. Yes. Which yeah. is and someone punches him in the face. Yeah. Right. Or at the beginning, he feels, thinks of Laurent as bad because he thinks of him as this kind of, like, dissolute, spoiled, conniving person who is very different to what Damon is and who fits with everything that Damon's father told him to expect of these Varetians with their decadence and their sinfulness and <laughs> their not being able to do anything in a straight line. And so that's why Damon sort of almost gravitates towards the Regent to begin with, because the Regent is a very, very masterful judge of character and can tell what Damon will respond to. I'm having a bit of a theory about enemies to lovers um, and the way that we build relationships with the image of another person that we have come up with in our head. Mm, right. Yes. So frequently you'll see this with romantic relationships in general, where they go badly when you build up this picture of who someone is and then they don't match that picture, but you're too busy trying to have a relationship with that picture. And I think mm. that a lot of these enemies to lovers things that we see are a case of taking that image and actually making it much closer to who the person really is and fleshing it out and coming to understand yeah. them. Um, and whether that image from the first part of the taxonomy is just an anonymous enemy soldier or a conniving Varetian wiggly person. That's not what I mean. Help. <laughs> wiggly person. Chessmaster. Be the serpents. Yay. We are all wiggly people. It's fine. <laughs> we, you're us? wiggly people. <laughs> I think Macy is probably or the wiggliest the case, of us. Oh, listen, in the case of uh, Eliza Bennett, there's this image of a proud, aloof Darcy right yeah. that she has in her head and she is so fixed and attached to that image that she throws away anything that doesn't match it yeah mm, absolutely and the, the other cool thing about enemies to lovers is this doesn't hold up across the whole trope but in general the tendency is that you are at, by the end of the arc by by the end of the resolution you're loving the whole entire person mm. both their virtues and crucially also their flaws yes. because you started out this relationship seeing the worst of them right. seeing them yes. be catty or mean or or petty and how you know from personal experience how they treat someone that they dislike so macy tell us more about this eliza bennett person <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've heard about her. She's from a rather obscure book. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's ringing a bell. So I first encountered Pride and Prejudice back as a high school student when it was my chosen quote-unquote classic to, to base my GCSEs around. And it's a remarkably subtle, understated book. Um, but here we are talking instead about the 1995 miniseries adaptation, which is six hours long and has a lot more in it, including a lot of amazing costumes. But at the base of it, Pride and Prejudice is the story of a young woman who gets entirely the wrong end of, a st of the stick when it comes to this young man who... She almost. <laughs> I mean, Darcy does some Darcy stuff. Darcy does do some yeah. stuff. So, so they both. Yeah, I'd say she's like halfway between the wrong end and the right end. She of gets really fixed on a first impression, and Darcy is That's really true. bad at first impressions. 
Like, I think yes. both of those things are true. Lizzie tends to form a first impression and get stuck to it. And Darcy tends to make a terrible first impression and slowly unram his stick from his rear end. Um, I was going to say unwind, but okay. <laughs> There's just a lot of sticks going on in this particular metaphor. <laughs> there are many sticks. <laughs> there are a lot of sticks. This is a very twiggy metaphor. <laughs> but Pride and Prejudice is, in my mind, one of the like best examples of enemies to lovers because it's entirely done through um comedy of manners but not even with much comedy in it necessarily but it's done through their emotions and their changing impressions of one another um and they are enemies uh darcy destroys the betrothal of eliza's older beloved sister fairly early in the book right like they are set against one another and one of the reasons why it takes lizzie bennett so long to see darcy for who he is and to come to terms with the fact that she might be able to like him i think is because in their enemies setup mm. she doesn't have any power over him no yeah he is richer he is higher in status and he is the one who has the ability to ruin the happiness of her sister yep. there is very little she can actually do that would have any material impact on his happiness as far as she knows Yes. Apart from turning him down when he proposes. In That's all she's got. An amazing speech. In an incredible an amazing speech. speech. When you watched that scene, did you, like, we have all seen the, the meme version of it. Turned down for what? Yeah. Were you, like, <laughs> sort of singing it in your head as that speech was happening? Yeah. 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 And turned down for what, Lizzie? <laughs> I think that this is part of the reason why this is one of the most produced classics right there are yeah. so many versions oh, yeah. there's the lizzie bennett diaries on youtube there's the what's the uh Kiera the Knightley Knightley. version yeah yeah and there are heaps and heaps of retellings like i can mm. think of three recent romance novels alone mm -hmm. that are basically and outright admitting that they are doing the pride and prejudice story yeah yeah it's just such a distillation i think that relationship of a particular kind of arc Mm. Mm -hmm. And part of the fun of it is that there is this asymmetry mm -hmm. in how much they dislike each other. As yes. far as Lizzie's concerned, they are enemies. He does not like me. I do not like him. What the fuck is he doing proposing to me? <laughs> yes. And she, she has to like storm off and like sigh deeply and toss her head and go, ah, and think about it because she just doesn't know where it comes from. Yes. Because her assumption has been that they're, they are enemies. That is the footing that they're on. And he's like, actually, I am in love with you. She's I've like, been... <laughs> what? <laughs> She's bit, she's like, you've been creepy staring at me for like six months. And he's like, I love you so much. <laughs> he's like, okay, creep. Uh, yeah. Well, I yes, they have a, uh, their love languages are a little bit in opposition at that point. He has to yeah. then go and do an act of service for her to believe that he is a good person. Yeah. I mean, and also to, like, he fucked over her family. Like, oh, yeah. he has to go resolve that and unfuck it up. Yeah, like, that's true. It's, but it's all about actions. So mm -hmm. she yeah. judges him by the action of ruining Jane's happiness. She judges him by what she believes to have been his past actions. Mm -hmm. uh, when Wickham lies to her about yep. what happened in the past. And then she comes to trust him and respect him and love him through his actions in regards to helping her younger sister. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who, may I say, in this adaption is amazingly played. Yes. Oh, yeah. Lydia? Lydia, the actress. Oh, gosh. Uh, Julia Sawala. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that... Whereas for, for Darcy, he does not necessarily think of them as enemies. No. He's just like, she's so pretty and she's very dry and she reads a lot. Oh, my God. She's so amazing. And she's then he perfect. <laughs> sits there consumed with lust you for know, the rest of the true. evening, totally failing to actually communicate any of this. I feel like... Pride and Prejudice, from Lizzie's point of view, is enemies through initial bias, right? Like, or yes. like through initial impact. Mm. Whereas mm. from Darcy's point of view, it's enemies through circumstances because he hates yes. his love for her because of her family. Yes. He has to. Do you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority <laughs> of, of your, your connections? connections. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's interesting also comparing that to. Because Lizzie is our point of view character. Mm -hmm. We don't get a perspective from Darcy at all. And it's interesting to compare that to Captive Prince because it's exactly the other way around. Mm. Like, Laurent mm. is 
an enemy by circumstance. Like, he's an enemy because he's Varisha and he's yeah. on the other side. Damon doesn't have anything against him personally, right. at least not initially. Um, like, once Laurent starts doing things to directly fuck over Damon's life, then yes. Um, whereas Laurent has a reason. Right. A personal vendetta. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the next fic, then? Sure. So this, uh, the next fic is uh, Lumos by Birds of Shore, which is a Harry Potter fanfic. Of course, we had to do a Harry Draco fanfic. We had to do a Harry Draco. You have to. You cannot talk about enemies to lovers and fanfiction without talking about Harry and Draco. Yep. Um, Because this is possibly the enemies relationship which has garnered the most amount of fanfiction on the internet. It's a big fandom. Yeah. It's a big old fandom. Yeah. Um, Macy picked out this fic, and this is the Alex's Fun Facts Gently Teasing Macy Corner, (laughs) um, because this fic is 41,000 words long. So short for a Macy fic. Wonderful. I thought Macy didn't even get out of bed for 80,000. Speaking of not getting out of bed, this sex is... This fic is one long sex scene, which How is How long have you been planning that one? <laughs> I came up with it on the spot, I swear. Uh-huh. It's like 60% sex scene. It's not like entirely sex scene. Mm, that's true. But like, it's sex scenes with like some cement in between to glue the sex scenes together. But yeah, I it will is, it's maintain... A, it's an erotic romance. Yes. It is, okay, yes. sure. I will maintain that there's that bit in the middle that changes the context of the sex scenes that I found made it more effective. Mm. So the premise of this fic is that it takes place during the quote-unquote eighth year, which is after the war, they all go back to finish the year of school that was ruined by Voldemort blowing up the castle (laughs) um, so that they can actually get their newt accreditation or whatever, because that's important. Uh, And look, I feel like they've had such a cavalier attitude to their education (laughs) for the previous seven years. (laughs) So just go back and learn something. Just just go back and learn something. Uh, maybe learn about your sexuality, Harry. Treat some PTSD. Uh, which is which is what happens in this fic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Sorting Hat decide, or like the the teachers in conjunction with the Sorting Hat, I guess. McGonagall uh, and the Sorting Hat together. McGonagall and the Sorting Hat together. Uh, figure out how to house all of these eighth year students that they don't have real dorm rooms for, and the Sorting Hat decides to pair them together into rooms, kind of based on. This person that you're rooming with is someone who has a different perspective from you, someone who can influence you to grow and change. Mm -hmm. And so Ron gets paired with like a Ravenclaw who's very, very like a quiet person into studying and they find common ground. They like enjoy playing chess together. It's cute. Uh, And Hermione gets paired with uh, Millicent Bulstrode, Mm -hmm. I think, and ends up having- And gets to make girlfriends. Girlfriends. Gets to make all these wonderful- library. (laughs) Validating female friendships. And I was so happy for Hermione in this fic. I didn't realize- what she was lacking this whole yeah. time and harry of course obviously, obviously. gets uh, assigned to room with draco and learns about his sexuality <laughs> and jerking off uh, so it's the uh. the the like the seven thousand word fic that you write when your idea is what if they had to room together and harry hears draco ranking yeah yes and this falls into the progression of enemies to lovers where the sexual stuff happens before the feelings, which I personally really like. I find it a lot of fun to play with. So you've got enemies to casual sex, question mark, to feelings, multiple question marks, to lovers, which personally I find super enjoyable. It's the, yeah. the entertaining way you can tell you're in one of those fix is where there's like a big question about can I kiss him? Is that okay? <laughs> yes, no, kissing is feelings, Macy. <laughs> like, We're just going to like okay? silently wank one another under the covers and it'll get progressively more intense. And Touching yeah. his dick, totally fine. I can do that pretty much <laughs> yeah, anytime I yeah. want. Draco, Draco pulls the like boarding school line of like, oh, well, in the Slytherin dorms. I'm like, oh, did they though, Draco? Did you really wank off Goyle? Like, I think you're lying right now. I think uh, you're just trying to like not admit that you're embarrassed that Harry heard you the first time. And so you pulled yeah. some bullshit. Oh, I think he definitely I... did. Yeah. He's a well, Slytherin. The reason, 
The reason I like this one is because it uses sex as a different mechanism for deepening intimacy. Right. So it's less about coming to know someone through action and it's more about, okay, you can dislike someone and still be very attracted to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's about can you then maintain, you know, a deepening sexual relationship without it shifting the way that you think about the person or at least – bringing you close enough into contact and making you vulnerable enough with each other that you can begin to have conversations that shift your dynamic. That's what I was just thinking was um, so much of enemies to lovers mid book hinges on the vulnerability point, right? Yes. If you are someone's Mm. enemy, how do you get to a point of genuine vulnerability such that you can build a romantic partnership with them? And in Harry Draco fic, the heavy lifting of the enemy's part has been done for you. Um, Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling has written many words about Harry cursing Draco to bleed to death in an abandoned bathroom in the middle of the night because that's not sexy to anyone but everyone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fandom has some feelings about that. So how do you get Harry to be vulnerable with Draco and Draco to be vulnerable with Harry? And it turns out wanking is one answer. (laughs) Yep. I think you're absolutely right, Macy. And I was thinking about the Captive Prince series Mm -hmm. as a series of vulnerabilities because it is a series of moments where one of them could take advantage and doesn't. Damon, it just wouldn't occur to him. And this baffles Laurent deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I was thinking actually about the conversation we were having about your book, Macy. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, you know, we were talking about some edits for Macy's book, Catalyst, and how you oh, shift yes. the dynamic in, in enemies to lovers. And we were talking about a particular scene where one of them is expecting the other to hurt her or mm-hmm. take advantage of a particular moment. And the fact that she doesn't is something that changes the dynamic. Right. And it's about that vulnerability point. Right, exactly. And I think that in Pride and Prejudice, for me, this only starts to develop after the first proposal where Darcy respects Elizabeth's no, which is in direct Mm. contrast to Mr. Collins earlier, who refuses to believe that Elizabeth would possibly say no to him. It's such a logical proposal. But Darcy backs off. He writes the truth down that he needs to get out in a letter, hands it to her and does not demand anything of her. And I don't know if that's quite vulnerability, but I think the letter is very vulnerable. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the letter is vulnerable and it's done in a way that respects boundaries and gives her a little bit more of that power that was missing. The power that she didn't have in their their relationship. Because Georgiana's, uh, Darcy's little sister Georgiana's entire reputation hinges on this not getting out. Yes. And so Darcy, by telling Lizzie about this, is trusting her not to ruin his life and Georgiana's life by telling everybody what Mm. really happened. And you know what I'm thinking of also about this vulnerability point? I'm thinking about Harrow dealing with the skeletons and Gideon Mm. helping in the basement Mm. in Gideon the Ninth and that being the moment when they start to build a partnership. Yeah, where they are doing this thing together. Mm. Yeah. And and in in this fic, in Lumos, Mm -hmm. I think you were talking, Macy, about a moment where the context shifts in the middle where... Uh, Draco admits that he hadn't been able to jerk off at all yeah. when Voldemort was living in his house. Which, which is understandable. Think, fair enough. I you think extremely reasonable. And so even though you're not seeing any of Draco's point of view, you start to see it when he becomes comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to start to be a little bit more open yeah. mm-hmm. with Harry about his own issues around sex and around sexual vulnerability. Right in general yeah because we have a harry here who has never admitted to himself that he's attracted to boys who has maybe thought that he didn't like sex at all Mm -hmm. previous to this has thought that he wasn't interested in it um and it just does like deepen the meaning of the sex scenes retroactively Mm. yeah and there's a whole other layer to do with wandless magic Mm -hmm. uh and teaching someone something which yeah. I thought was was very nice. Like it means that they again it brings them slightly more onto an even keel because you've yeah. got this sense in which Draco is teaching Harry about his sexuality, uh, and then Harry teaches him something in return. So it actually yeah. gives you a balance. It's a that fair exchange. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I know, and also on a gut level, I just really like roommates. <laughs> and sure. all the time I was reading it, I was like, I need the Glinda Elf of a version yes. of this book. <laughs> Where is it? Someone write it for me. Oh, someone surely has. I mean, they were actually canon roommates, right? Yes. And I was thinking about this later on that I I love the Glinda Elphaba dynamic because it literally goes enemies, two friends, two enemies, two 
friends, question mark. Yeah. And then, of course, with the fan fiction, it should go to lovers and threesomes. But like, okay, and let not not forget, not forget <laughs> this too has been explicit. Wicked but like, opinions with Freya. <laughs> but like, people never write girls getting caught jerking off. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Huh. No, I haven't seen it in FF fandom. I mean, I'm sure it exists somewhere. It has to. But that like, is that is really interesting because that has happened to me many <laughs> times in my life. <laughs> I never have read this, even though it's an experience that I have lived through. <laughs> but I think this is like either like people assume that like girls are too quiet to be caught, which question mark, and or like they don't, don't know. Just this image that girls don't jerk off, but boys have to jerk off. Yeah, mm. I think that's quite. It's prevalent in the consciousness, and I think even mm-hmm. though people in fandom probably if you presented them with that idea, we'll say, well, clearly that's nonsense. Yeah. Uh, I think it's still, as a fictional trope and a fictional image, has a lot more pervasiveness when it comes to guys. Mm-hmm. But hey, darling listeners, if you have any examples of FF caught jerking off by my roommate fix, yeah. send them Macy's send them way. <laughs> we would love oh, to be proven wrong about please. this. Also, just as a bit of science, as I, I <laughs> hypothesized at the beginning of this section, um, that Harry and Draco might be the most enemies to lovers uh, fix written, I did look up the numbers on that. 37,012. Oh my gosh. And that's oh, not even counting that FF.net. Pairing, that's that's yeah. just the pairing on AO3. Oh, we'll that's get, the pairing? And there will be a lot of decentralized stuff. Yeah, they'll because Harry Draco enemy fic was a big thing back when the books were still being written. Mm, I remember, yes. do you guys remember Eclipse? No. no. There were a bunch of fics where like Draco kidnapped Harry to bring to Voldemort or, you know, things like that. And then along mm. the way, when they were trapped in the dark of the forest, they came to know one another. <laughs> in well, the hey, biblical do you, sense. Do you want to hear a story about yes. Harry Draco? Back when yeah. I was a wee baby fandomer, just fresh to the internet, 16, had a live journal. Oh. You know, there used to be lots of those quizzes that would yeah. be like, which of this are you? Then there'd be a little banner with a picture that you could put on your live journal. Yes. <laughs> yes. So someone on my friend's page had one of those and it was which Harry Potter slash pairing are you? I did not know at this stage what slash was. <laughs> oh, but baby. I was like, that's a pretty banner. Click. And I got <laughs> Harry Draco. And I think I posted it to my live journal being like, does anyone want to explain to me what slash is? <laughs> oh, sweet love. But the it fact that I did a 16? whole quiz at age 16. Look, I just I just discovered online fandom because I just changed friendship groups. And so I was in with like the anime nerds. Yeah. So all of my like online stuff was anime nerddom. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I really appreciate that I did a quiz at age 16, managed to get Harry Draco, the quintessential enemies yeah. to lovers pairing without knowing anything <laughs> about yeah. Slash Fit. That is and pretty iconic and on brand. It. That's very on brand. That's very, very on brand. But we should talk a bit more generally. So I've been thinking, when it comes to this particular trope, we've talked about three different types of tent poles, as we often do. Yep. But how does the format of the media alter how this trope is done? So can you do enemies to lovers in a small space if you're not doing it fan fiction-wise, where you've got all the heavy lifting being done in by the canon? Can you do enemies to lovers in the space of a short story or a short novel or even a single movie? Or do you have to have serialization or a long period of time? I think you can do it in a short story if you establish that they were already enemies and you only do the flip point, right? And have attraction throughout so that the lovers is never in question, but that you have the flip from enemy to respect uh, be the pivot of the story. I don't think you could do anything else in that story, right? It would have to be really focused. I would agree. You would start in medias res. In the middle of yep. the, the arc, yeah. But I think that it wouldn't it wouldn't be the meal that most of us are looking for when we go looking for enemies to lovers in that form. No. And someone someone mentioned Mr. and Mrs. Smith mm. movie on in dot point form, and I think that's a great example because it manages to only show you the really meaty emotional yes. beats by giving you the setup yep. very early. It says, here's how they met, they were married. And then the movie starts when they discover that they're actually enemies. It's great. It's just... Oh, it's so good. It's very concise in that way that Hollywood is frequently concise in a very, like, save the cat way. Mm. Which sometimes works great and sometimes doesn't. And it really depends on the chemistry of the actors. But sometimes you want a single movie or a 7,000 word book that just 
bangs those emotional beats on the head. Bangs. Ba- yes, often. <laughs> bangs. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is one of the benefits of having a long series. Like Captive Prince is mm. essentially a single romance narrative yes. told over three books. And if you have a serialized format, like a long television show or a series of books, then you can do the enemies to lovers in a much more leisurely and sort of pausing and rolling around in the emotions, slow burn kind of way. I'm thinking of the detective show Bones. Yes. Mm. And it's not really enemies, but it's like, they did slow burn very well. But it's definitely like an a relationship built on negative emotion. They have, yeah, I mean, they have some antagonism because like Bones is trying to do something one way. And what's his name? Uh, the agent Booth. guy. Brennan. Uh, her, yeah. Booth. No, she's Booth. called Brennan. She's He's Brennan. called Booth. He's, yes. Booth agent and Brennan. Booth. Right. Yeah. They're both like trying to do their jobs in two different ways and like having strong personality clashes. Yeah. Because they fundamentally don't really understand how the other person thinks. And they're both like, you're an alien. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Bones true. is, in fairness. Bones is kind of an alien. But in terms yeah. of this, like, the advantage of having length, I think that this perhaps is one of the reasons we see so much great fan work that takes an existing pair of enemies and just does the next part of the story, right? Yes. People really love to take enemies and slash them. Yeah, especially when you're thinking about something like Harry Draco, where there is so much emotion built into the enmity. Honestly, like in the books, the relationship between Harry and Draco has more emotion built up than the relationship between Harry and Ginny. By a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's basically he spends a lot of time thinking about Draco <laughs> and having strong opinions and strong feelings about what Draco is doing. And we find out that Draco <laughs> is Caps the Lock. same, right? When his parents are like, oh, it's you potter this, potter that. Mm. Yeah. And and like from and from Draco's point of view, he is building again on a very understandable resentment in mm. that their relationship began with Harry outright socially rejecting him yeah. in a very humiliating way. Uh-huh. Publicly. Yeah. Yep. Publicly, yeah. Whereas from Harry's point of view, it's just like, well, here's this horrible little person. Yeah, Harry is not elegant of... enough to be Mr. Darcy. No. no. But Draco no, no. thinks he, he But is. he does a, a lot of bit. glorying at him from the other side <laughs> of the potions class. <laughs> oh, I'll dear. sit here consumed with lust in potions. <laughs> 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 oh. But you're right. I think that, that existing strong emotion is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got passion crossing the line into passion in the other direction. And so I actually wanted to see, can you think of any examples of the enemies to lovers trope where that sort of passion burning, you know, hate and lust being two sides of the same coin uh, is not actually a prominent part of it. And the only one that I could think of was K.A. Dawes' The Perfect Assassin. Maybe. Which actually is an enemies to lovers story, which is kind of spoilery, but (laughs) (laughs) it is. It's enemies to lovers but neither of them know it. Yes, which makes it delightful. <laughs> yeah. Because they are enemies by circumstance and they do disagree fundamentally. Yeah. But their relationship is built on the fact that neither of them actually know this. <laughs> right. I mean, Very and I have... Chewy. I have some other sort of platonic examples as well. Um, like there's an enemies to family <laughs> kind of trope with the TV show Once Upon a Time. Oh, God, And yeah. they're... There is an enemies to friends arc between Elle and Vivian in Legally Blonde. Which I love. Mm. And also yes. they should be the yes. ones who end up together. I'm sorry. There's yes. And it's like, ditto that. with Once Upon a Time, like that particular pairing of uh, the Wicked Queen and Emma Swan. Mm. Is that her name? Yes. Um, yeah. Is a very popular FF pairing when it comes to fanfic because I think people can see in it the bones of a really satisfying enemies to lovers story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the show brings it all the way up to friends and co-parents. Yep. And then just sort of <laughs> leaves it there and romps off into fields of compulsory heterosexuality. I mean, she's also her, what is it, grandmother? So it's kind of weird. No, step-grandmother. No. Step-grandmother. Like it's, it's definitely okay, step-something yeah, right, right, at some step point. She adopted Snow White. It's a bit weird. It's, 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 it's fairy tale. They try to make all of the fairy tales in the world fit into one TV show. No, yeah. sorry. They try to make all of the Western canon like, of fairy tales. Yeah, and there's like time travel mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like everyone people, is someone's parents, uncle. Everyone is someone's mm-hmm. parents slash step parents slash yeah. godparents slash. Yeah. It's very complicated. But I love the Elle and Vivian one. I think that's really true. And yeah. now I'm trying to think 
of others. Because you, st- you start out with Elle having this boyfriend, and then she loses the boyfriend who goes off and gets a new girlfriend, Vivian. Yeah. And so Elle and Vivian are kind of set up to be really cautious of each other because it's like they clearly both have this story in their heads about like how women are supposed to treat each other in this circumstance, mm. and they're kind of waiting for each other to get catty about it. And Vivian does get catty about it. But Elle is just, like, such a solidly nice person that she, like, sets firm boundaries, but, like, isn't actively an asshole to Vivian. And and, this- and then the boyfriend turns out to be just a dick all over. And Elle and Vivian are like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Let's be bros with each other, because we're clearly great. And there's something very satisfying about two women realize that the dude that they are being competing for is (laughs) not actually worthwhile and they're much better off with each other and i'm thinking of the at least two um instances in which this has happened on the bachelor in various countries (laughs) Mm. yes that's true which is such a great narrative of not necessarily enemies but definitely rivals yes yeah like constructed enemies realizing that the thing they are competing for is rubbish yeah throughout the whole man be with each other instead <laughs> and i think there's one more example that i keep coming back to where it's really deeply not enemies to lovers but it's enemy conversion which is zuko from avatar the last airbender with like the mm. whole avatar tachi haven't seen it but i know vaguely Freya? of what yes. you speak <laughs> well yes i think i mean i can see where you're coming from with it i think he's just like an amazing character growth yep. thing but i don't necessarily need him to have an and love two lovers or and lovers on the end oh no i i'm talking about from the platonic standpoint um that's true it's a very good enemies to pff story yeah except kind of with like the whole group rather than with any one person in particular yeah but i think that this was making me wonder about the link between enemies to lovers and redemption and i know that we had some disagreement in the dot points so alex come argue with me all right, so my answer for this, um, it's different from the villain redemption that we did for the, uh, that was episode 44, I believe, the mm-hmm. live show from Worldcon, um, because to me, the enemies to lovers trope kind of is saying you don't have to be fully redeemed for somebody to love you. You can be a flawed, bit of an asshole kind of human being, uh, and someone will still, like, have feelings for you and, like, accept you as a whole person. Like, Darcy, for example, is not going to ever be good at giving first impressions. He's always going to be vaguely pissing people off because he's, like, shy and guarded and, like, distant with strangers in a way that makes them feel like they like he hates them. But I want to talk to what Freya defined um a villain to be back in that episode because freya defined it as a villain is what the story wants you to think they are right okay there there isn't an objective standard for a villain it's all about perception and so redemption in a single story the redemption arc is about perception as much as it is actions sometimes like there are different ways of doing a redemption arc and i argue that most enemies to lovers fic where the enemy has done something at least to the other person not the ones where they're just an enemy by circumstances is about redeeming the quote-unquote villain to the lover okay okay yeah not necessarily to the the audience the lover does have to like forgive them for the thing that is making them an enemy right they have to come to respect them or understand Mm. or i don't even know if forgive is always the word but like they have to come to a they have to resolve the thing that made them enemies. Yes. And if we're talking then about how we talked about redemption in mm. our villains show, that usually does require some kind of action on the on the behalf of the villain mm-hmm. side of things in order to show that they feel bad about it or will change. And right. Darcy does that. Darcy shows that he, he admits he was wrong to right. meddle in with Jane and Bingley uh, and the admission of yes this thing that I did I can see now that that hurt you and that was wrong is what allows that redemption to happen mm-hmm. and I think the recontextualization of Darcy also goes a long way towards this right mm. um, but I think you need both and maybe you mm. could try to do it with only one or only the other but I think that's playing on hard mode 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Harry Draco as a pairing is usually most of the heavy lifting that the fan writer is doing is in making Draco more complex and therefore more understandable and redeemable in Harry's eyes, Mm. which the books only just start to do near the end. And also giving Harry like any internality. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for reals. Yeah. Harry gains some self-awareness. The Uh. fic. You know what I would really love to see Mm. is... Enemies to lovers, except instead of the villain or quote-unquote bad person being redeemed, I would love for the hero to go over to their side and for both of them to be evil together. I feel like there must be, like, rebellion-type things that do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, join the revolution? Yeah, like, yes. let's be evil overlords together and rule the world. <laughs> like, I'm, That's a or mood. maybe... Like, is there a is there a fic with Superman and Lex Luthor where Lex convinces Superman to just be a villain with him? There must be. <laughs> See, Astolat, I would please read write that the hell out of that. <laughs> as someone who's just written a story where one of the driving mechanisms was these people are the villains in someone else's story. Yeah, I do find that come and join me. Let's be overlords. Yeah, to be very appealing. Freya, help me out here because I feel <laughs> yes, like Macy. this must have happened in black sails because that entire show is like a fucking country line dance of heel switch turn yeah i can't remember it has actually been a little bit too long since i saw it for for any of the individual storylines to be leaping out at me there's just so many people falling in love and crossing boundaries and being becoming on the other side to the one where they started because of the other person changing their mind Mm -hmm. but i think none of them are particularly crossing from a you know quotation marks good to more villainous it's all just sort of like one shade of villainy to another shade of ambiguously gray villainy yeah i mean from the perspective of england i don't think that thomas (laughs) and like james's love story was particularly non-villainous you have a decorated naval officer and a Mm. lord who make out a bunch and then become pirates well, that's true, actually. I think, you know, you could do a very good fic where Thomas comes back into their lives before everything goes absolutely to shit. Yeah. And James is like, hi, I'm a pirate lord now. Want to come along? Uh, and he'll probably be like, be mm, okay. Just sit there, like, silently shaking his head. <laughs> like, maybe we don't have to kill quite so many people today, darling. Yeah. Uh. But I wanted to very briefly at the end mention that um, one of my favorite variants on this is actually the ones where they start off friends Mm. and then become enemies and then go to lovers from there. Because betrayal. Because betrayals. Because it means that the enmity is already built on a strong emotional foundation. It's it's not that this is just someone who's got an abstract enmity. It's very, very personal. Right. Yes. I love that. Glenda Elphaba all the time. And then I will mention one of my favourite subtropes of this, which is the My Beloved Enemy, um, where you might be able to stab your enemy five ways to Sunday, but you will immediately murder anyone who so much as whistles wrong at her. Yeah, That's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, that's also sort of like how we feel about our younger siblings, because like, I'm allowed to beat up my little sister. But, like, anyone else who crosses her, like, I will fucking murder. <laughs> and it's about that grey line of emotion. And it's it's yeah. that possession. Yeah. This person is mine to have it's strong like feelings about. It's, like, a Everybody really great trope where that protective impulse is the first way that they start to realise they have feelings. Feelings. Yep. It's yeah. a good one. It is a good one. And the episode has gone on for a long time. Good, good night, dear listeners. Thank you. For listening to this, we would love to hear about your favorite enemies to lovers. Uh, I have been reading, oh, I did forget to mention at the beginning of the episode that I had been reading nothing but Captive Prince fanfic when I was reading anything. So please send me your favorites of those because I haven't read enough yet. Uh, and Nirvana in Fire if we're talking enemies to lovers, sort of, with fuckery. Oh, that's a good that's one That's another too. one of yeah. Freya's friends to enemies to lovers. <sighs> send us all the wrecks, please. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Uh, I love this trope so much. I know we talked a little bit about the whole um, loving the whole person aspect of enemies to lovers, but there's also the really sexy depiction of 
one or more people changing their mind. That's something we don't see a lot of these days. You're either right or you're wrong, and there's no room for growth or change or forgiveness. It's really comforting to have a story that says, hey, even if this person hates you today, it's not necessarily a lost cause. There's always a way forward, if both of you are open to it. Anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on December 18th, it's the episode 50 extravaganza. Uh, dear listeners, you sent in a bunch of great questions this time. Your favorite characters asked us for life advice, and we got very giggly and tipsy in order to answer them. Uh, so if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, give, maybe give them a heads up, as you know. Uh, in the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, which is also at SerpentCast, uh, or leave a review for us on iTunes. The podcast grows because you tell your friends about us and shout about us on the internet, so if you have a moment to do that thing, please do so. And by the way, if you were my arch rival, I bet we'd have some really sexy banter during our sword fighting scene.